Hey, what's up? Hello, this is Admin Cubana coming back at you with another episode of the Unladylike Lounge podcast. And today I am joined with Nicholas Natalie. And Nicholas, how are you today? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on the podcast. How are you? Awesome. Thank you so much. I am doing very well. Thank you for joining us today. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Brag on yourself a little bit. Oh man, that's gonna be that's gonna be a, a difficult task. I feel like compliments I'm usually you know, pushing them away. I got to walk. <laughs> I but totally my, get it. <laughs> my story probably begins at uh, some point in college. Um, I went to school for software engineering. I graduated in three years, which was the first time anybody in the program has ever done it. It was a new software engineering program, but I got oh. a lot of no's like people. I'm uh, the dean told me no. Uh, the, the administrators that were counseling for schedules told me no. I had a slew of no's. I still pulled it off, came out with 60K in debt, uh, moved oh, into a suburban, paid off the debt in 11 months, worked for the DOD, survived the government investigation. My best friend oh. lived in the truck with me. We're plowing through all the good stuff, but that's that's essentially my story. Super <laughs> condensed. All right. Well, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Student debt, WTF. What kind of impact did the college debt have on your life? Because I feel like a lot of kids these days have it in their heads that they're going to go to school, graduate, get the great job and just live their best life. And clearly that is not necessarily how it always happens. That's very true. Uh, I I mean, I mean, it's probably partially um, my my fault that I got into so much debt because but I was also a, a young person um, and didn't really understand the weight of money. So hearing the numbers like I went to a private university and they were like, it's forty thousand dollars a year. And I was like, oh, yeah, forty thousand. Oh, that's probably fine. You know, get a couple right. scholarships. We'll take care of that. That's easy peasy. Uh, yeah. But I remember my senior year where I finally sat down and like read the number sixty thousand dollars, like the weight of it. It, it felt different because now it's like, oh, I'm not going to be in this college bubble anymore. And there is going to have to be the other side of this. And to your point of we think this is going to be nice and dandy. The other side is a lot of people are just accepting that I'm going to have this forever. And, you know, right. both of those are, are kind of scary thoughts. Uh, so when I saw that I had 60K in debt, uh, this like not overwhelming, but this idea that something was going to control me. Uh, and tell me where my money was going to have to go every single month was really bothersome to me. So yes. I do think it, it's important to get ahead of that, those conversations, because, you know, you could find yourself in, in greater debt than your major even expects you to have an ROI on. And, you know, that's the hardest thing to combat. You might not get it back. That part, that part, it's, oh, it's, it's so daunting. It really is. Um, I, as someone who went to school for two majors that have nothing to do with each other and ended up <laughs> not doing either one of them, I felt right here, um, is, is the, the student debt situation ultimately what led to you being under investigation by the government? Uh, maybe indirectly. Uh, so oh. I moved into... Uh, a 1986 Chevy Suburban there was like once, once I heard that number I was like trying to brainstorm ideas like I need to get rid of this fast I got to get rid of this and one of the ideas that kept popping up was I'm gonna live in a car I'm gonna live in a vehicle and I I also got a lot of no's for that a lot of please don't do that but 
someone in my <laughs> life gifted me the Suburban and uh, my brother and I, we turned it into a makeshift camper converter, had two beds. One of them that I slept on was like thinner than a twin in exactly my height. So like I would lay <laughs> perfectly on it like I could not move. Uh, and the other one was a couch. But the government investigation portion came about because I, my first job out of college was working for the Department of Defense and they're they're high on security. And I oh, never yeah. like, I never like promoted that I lived in my car. I never like talked about it. I did not bring it into the workplace whatsoever. But eventually someone must have caught wind of it and, and had a problem with it. And they they their quote that they brought me in to start like the interrogation or investigation process was. We think you're a bum stealing from the government. That was their quote unquote <laughs> line. And it was such such an outlandish claim that I was like, oh man, like what do I even do with this? And I don't even know what the repercussions are. You know, like it, what if they just say like, yeah, we're not even going to investigate. We just know it for sure. Like, is it a felony? I don't know. Government laws. <laughs> what, what happens? Uh, but ultimately, yeah, the way it got resolved, the quick the quick version of it is my. Uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time, she was, we're, we're back together. I have to say that. Uh, <laughs> hey, girl. Hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She was studying abroad and one of her friend was, friends were watching her car as a Toyota Corolla. And her friend called me up one time and was like, hey, I'm going to leave the country for a bit. You have to watch her car. And I was like, I live in a car. There's no way I can watch her car. She just drops it <laughs> off. But it turns into the perfect finesse because I start driving this Toyota Corolla to work instead of this giant suburban and suddenly the heat started to back off they were like well how could you live in a car if you have two cars you know and really i was just sprinting back and forth between the two and where i was parking them and it was horrible but like after two or three weeks it like kind of fizzled out and i you know like nothing happened i didn't get i mean it took some stuff back but i survived it it's it's my vacation home like we're good we got this yeah yeah, yeah. yes (laughs) Um, what what was the investigation like, and are you still feeling the 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 effects today? Hmm. The investigation was they uh, a few days of of general questioning, like asking, like, what do you actually do? Because the other half of this was I was a, uh, for lack of better words, like I was a hyper performer in in my workplace, and the government oh. culture itself is not all that forward thinking it's it's very bureaucratic so there's a lot of steps in between if you want to accomplish something and doing something you have to get lines of approval and like written in stone and you know allocated budgets and all these things and i was more of like a i was just out of college i was excited to make a difference so i was really run and gun like i i like built this internship program and was i like was able to hire like give 95 kids in college like internships and they all had jobs and like were working effectively i built out like a, a 3d printing lab like all of this like really like useful things for the government and they just saw it as a threat like they they thought you're doing too much so the investigation okay. itself involved They'd go through my time cards. They went through all of like my work text messages, all of my work Slack messages, all of my emails, just essentially any form of communication where I was like supposed to be where I said I was. They were verifying it. Um, I had to give a physical location of where I, like accounting of where I was on each day. And back to being the, the the high performer part. And I don't know if I'd be the same person today. 
but I wanted a promotion really badly. Like one of my goals going into the job was like, I'm going to get promoted quick. So I kept this giant log of what I did every day and how it benefited them. So when the investigation came, I eventually like gave them this 300 page document of like, yeah, you can investigate me, but I have everything I've ever done. So like it was almost like this perfect storm where they bounced each other out. And it ended up, you know, I think that saved me in a way, too, because that got forward around, sent up to the top, came back down, all this stuff. Oh, yeah, it was brilliant. So essentially, like, you're doing this great job for them and essentially getting punished for it. And it's just like, come on, like, y you need me, but you're, dude, what? Oh, no. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Um. When it comes to let's kind of shift gears here because you you you're also into acting and improv. Mm. What led you to have a passion for improv? Because that is hard. <laughs> it is. It's hard on. It's hard on like a mental level, like the the right. idea of being willing to embarrass yourself in front of like thirty people you don't know is the hardest part about it, and and like letting go of judging yourself up there and like feeling the judgments of other people and kind of committing to the character. Uh, my, my passion for it kind of came from, I started making videos when I was really young as a, as a young person. And I always just loved like that sort of either documenting the process of how things go. And also it feels great to make people laugh. So eventually I caught wind of the groundlings theater, which is I'm in LA. So it's here in, West Hollywood and I found out that Will Ferrell went there and a bunch of other great people went there so I started taking a couple classes there and that kind of inspired my love for it but also it's had a direct impact on other parts of my life too because it teaches you to trust your gut a lot because there's no time to really like make a perfect plan and also it teaches you to adjust quickly because I've been on stage and like felt like I had a clear idea of where an improv scene was going. And then, you know, my scene partner will take out a knife and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, what am I going to do? Wow. What, what's happening now? You know, that's like <laughs> completely derails everything. And that happens in business and that happens in life. And we're constantly yes. having to adjust. So I think it's, it's, it benefits and more just like getting laughs. It it helps me as a, a person too. But that's that's where some of my passion stems from for it. It really is a resourceful, a resourceful tool to have in your in your back pocket for sure. Uh when it comes to acting and improv, do you prefer dramatic or comedy and why? Ooh, what a great question, Courtney. So I'm in two theaters right now, and one of them is super, super heavy. Like all I get are really heavy scenes. And it's like, you know, you 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 murdered your brother and now you're facing your mom that you haven't seen in five years in court. And it's like so it's like almost to the point like how how do I even like put myself in these shoes? You know, it's like almost too too great of burdens to bear. Um and then the improv, like I said, I think Overall, I enjoy the comedic aspect more, but okay. there's something to be said about those heavier scenes and the heavier work because you have to dig deeper uh, yeah. in, internally. So I recently did a monologue where I uh, did a rendition of Carmi from The Bear, which is about to have season two. Jeremy Allen White did Carmi. 
But a lot of that work was really understanding who the character is and how I can like relate to him. So in a, in a lot of ways, Carmi is, you know, frustrated that things aren't going right, can totally relate to that. Wanting the approval of his older brother, totally relate to that. Um, struggling to, you know, make business work, totally relate to that. Hyper obsessed. So finding those things, I think, are really important, too, because I can reflect on that in myself and find improvements places to tweak as well okay all right bet have you ever been starstruck and if so by who oh man courtney this is Uh oh i have a great great story for you and i'm gonna try to make it yes Um, yes we've got the face palm y'all we've got the face (laughs) palm Um, I play basketball sometimes, pick up basketball, and okay. down, down not too far from here, uh, I showed up to to play ball with one of my friends, and we saw a mutual friend of ours, and we're like, what's up, man? How are you? He's walking his baby in a stroller. He's like, mm-hmm. good, man. You guys here to play basketball? And we're like, yeah, we are. And he's like, cool. Adam Sandler's here. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> my initial reaction is like, you just feel it in your chest, you know, just like, oh, man. And you look over. And it's really him. He's wearing the huge sweatshirt, the huge baggy shorts, like three socks, the giant sneakers. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's really Adam Sandler. Uh, and he loves- yeah, he loves basketball. He loves basketball. Uh, and so the courts run in full. And usually at that time, there's not a lot of people. So we're always already like, what's going on here? But we walk over to the court. I'm just thinking to myself, like, that's cool. I got to see him. Like, nothing's really going to come from this. Like, I like that. I got to be around him. Um, And the the main game ends that he's playing in. And, like, you know, people have their phones out or whatever. And me and my friend were just, like, enjoying the moment, you know, like, taking it in. And he beelines straight to us, walks up to both of us. And he goes, (laughs) two on two, you guys. And so he challenges me and my friend to play two on two. And we proceed to play three games of basketball with Adam Sandler for like the next hour by ourselves. And he's telling people don't play with us. Like he only wanted to. I have no idea why. I had zero clue why. It was fantastic. It was awesome. Oh, my gosh. Like I literally just had eight crazy nights flash (laughs) in my head. I really did. This is the this is the greatest. I so I have always told people if this podcast ever blows up for real. My only mm-hmm. desire is to be as famous as Adam Sandler, just walking through the streets in whatever I throw on, eating a giant pickle. Like he's just he's just like a real person. He really is. So that is the greatest story. Thank you. You are the coolest person I know. You really are the coolest person I know. But by association, I, Adam Sandler is what's making me cool right now. <laughs> no, you no, seriously, like you you are just this is awesome this is this is so awesome what has been your favorite job to date and why Ooh, favorite job to date uh it's gotta be the job i have now i i do podcasting and i help people run their podcast done for you service but another fun one was when i was 16 ish my brother had a lawn care business and we would go and mow lawns together and that was always fun because i was 16 he was probably 26 so he was like probably the perfect age to take it serious enough to run the business but not serious enough to like not let a 16 year old mow everybody's lawn so i have a lot of good memories of like doing a bunch of like 
lawn care and accidentally like breaking sprinklers and my brother just losing it, you know? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> like, like water spewing out. And I'm like, dude, I this is my second time I've ever mowed a lawn. And he's just like, you have to get it together. I'm like, dude, I just got here. I don't know. That was a fun job while it lasted. He'd I remember negotiating with him and I had no concept of money at that time either. And he would be like, how much you want to get paid? And I'd be like, I don't know, like 20 bucks. He's like, what if I paid you one penny an hour? And I'd be like, that's, that's not a living wage, man. You know, but at the time I was like stressed. Oh, you know, I was like, oh, what about a dime per hour? You know, if you just had that like brother power over me. Like, you know, we can make, we can make it happen. You know, what if we just we're we're opening with a penny right and we can go like up yeah, to a dime <laughs> meet me halfway here yeah ruthless boss. What, have you, what have you noticed as a common trait amongst successful entrepreneurs hmm that's a good question i think what i've seen at least in terms of the people that i've interviewed they all have a sense of grit in the sense that we all experience some sort of obstacle or roadblock in the things that we want to accomplish, but the people that are willing to continue when it's hard are the people that usually find success. And that usually I feel like when people hear that, they might think, okay, six months in, if I haven't figured it out, you know, whatever. Almost all the entrepreneurs that I've interviewed they have a graveyard of failed businesses, like five, six, seven, ten. Some of them have 20 failed businesses, um, but they find something that feels right, that you know, that sticks for them, and they'll go at it for five to ten years, and then they find the success that they were looking for. So I almost view it as if you're watching at home, a graph that kind of like is down low, steady, then just the exponential growth because I mean, entrepreneurship is not linear by any means. It, it's not like I start a business, I make a little bit and it keeps going up. It's like I start a business, I lose all my money, I go back. <laughs> I guess that's another thing too is they have they have a, a, a risk tolerance that I think people who are entrepreneurs are not entirely comfortable with. Like the last five people I've interviewed, the lowest amount of debt that they've accumulated is 40 grand for their businesses. And that's a crazy wow. amount. Some dude came on my podcast and said he got into $250,000 in debt and didn't make a dime yet. And I was like, dude, I would have been terrified. That sounds horrifying. <laughs> but like they have like such great risk tolerance and, you know, paired with a belief in themselves that might be outlandish, <laughs> might not even be like logical, but they use that to propel themselves forward through the tough times. So, man, uh, that's, that's what I would say. Yeah. See, okay. He said, you guys. Dear dear audience members, this man said $250,000. My chest hurts when I go to bingo and lose $12. I'm with you. <laughs> I, I I mean, granted, I'm not I'm not in the big leagues and I don't know that I'm necessarily trying to be, but I I go to bingo and I cry when I don't win back anything. So I kudos to those like real life entrepreneurs who are out there putting their whole life savings into it because my hmm, my my tummy hurts just hearing those numbers i i got knots just and it's not even my company so I, oh my goodness 
what is some advice, tips, tricks? I don't even like using the word tricks anymore because I feel like there aren't necessarily tricks to anything. Because if there were, it things would be easy. Everybody would do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what are some tips and advice that you would give to our listeners um, as far as whether it's um, whether it's going to school, improv, um, entrepreneurship, anything of that nature? Yeah, I think the the two biggest that come to mind is for sure have a goal of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Because if you are walking aimlessly in any direction that takes you, you're going to end at a destination that is aimless and you're not even going to know why you're there or how you got there. So having yes. a goal um, and then I'll pair that with uh, implementing good habits and I'll try to break down both. So if you want to have a good goal, this is my strategy i know a lot of people do the smart strategy which um has its own acronym but i do the who what when where and why strategy and how um for goals so who's going to do it it's likely you but also what i found important is to identify the people that are going to help you get there too for example i recently wanted to run more and i found someone that is a great runner so now i run with them that that's part of my who what is what you're going to do and start that statement with I am going to do this because when you put I am in the front of it, there's some power in that saying like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be you. I am going to do this. Who, what, when, when are you going to do it as in when are you going to do it by is going to take three months, six months, define it because that's important because you need to make sure that you have little itty bitty milestones along the way, which is part of the, the habit stuff. Who, what, when, where, why, the why is important because if you've ever seen those videos of the Navy SEALs and BUDS training and people where some people are ringing the bell and they're like getting out of there and other people are like drowning, but like have a half smirk on their face. Those people, their why is strong. Like they know why they're there. They know what they're like, the whole purpose for them doing those actions. And you have to have that too. And the last one I think is how, which is essentially, I think it's half faith, half plan you know, put, put a plan together of how you're going to do it. And then the gray area is going to be filled in by God. And then the habit tracking portion is all the little itty bitty things that you do in your daily that build up to your goals. So I highly suggest tracking your habits too. So if you know that you want to be a runner and you want it to be a daily habit that you run one mile, just put, pull up an Excel spreadsheet, throw the dates of the month at the top Put running one mile and put a zero or one there so you know whether you did it each day. And then you can tally at the end or you can see as you go whether you're doing them every day or if you find a tendency that, hey, I miss every Wednesday. What happens on Wednesdays? Like, why can't I make a Wednesday work? So that's what I would say. That's my that's my tip. No tricks there, Courtney. No tricks. Yes. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. And um, where can my audience find more of you and follow your work? podcast uh it's under my name the nicholas detali show that's where I, I would say go if you like hearing my voice here you might like hearing my voice over there so <laughs> go listen to that bet <laughs> bet absolute bet and for those of you who don't know um where to find that don't fear i will put that in the description box below and um i want to thank you so much sir for joining us today it has been an absolute pleasure and for our audience members as you know as always i love y'all fiercely